Welcome. Welcome this morning. I know you've been welcomed, but we want you to know how good it is to be together. I'm just finishing a lozenge. Did anyone else find... I didn't do my vocal warm-ups this morning. Did anyone else find it was a bit of a strain this morning? Was it just me? I had to pop in, just me. Yeah. Um, fair enough. I watched a movie last night. I know, it's a radical thing to do. It's a movie that I haven't seen for a good probably 10 years. Really good movie though. The movie is Romeo and Juliet. Now, the Leo one. I know, right? What a... Has anyone... Have you seen a picture of Leo from that movie recently, everyone? Do yourself a favour, Google after the service. What an attractive man he is and was. Uh, anyway, Romeo and Juliet. That's I'm sidetracked already. My gosh. Romeo and Juliet, great movie. Baz Luhrmann did the movie. The styling in the movie is incredible, actually. The, uh, I love the modern take on the, the Romeo and Juliet story. And instead of swords, there's like pistols. They've all got guns and the cars are amazing. They've all got these great shirts. Anyway, while I was watching the movie, Susie was looking up IMDb and she informed me that that movie is 26 years old. Can you believe that? Those of us who are a bit older in the room, some of you guys up the back are like, well, what movie are you talking about? I wasn't even born in 1996. Was there anyone not born in 1996? Surely, oh, Josh, yeah, uh, there's a few. Anyway, can I tell you, so Romeo and Juliet, this isn't a hot take, it's a, an amazing story, right? But who knows that it is so tragic? I watched it last night and I wasn't, I wasn't expecting the kind of like the punch to the gut that that movie was at the end. Now, this is a spoiler if you've never heard of Romeo and Juliet. Uh, the end scene, and Juliet is kind of just coming to from the, the kind of the, the poison, kind of the, the induced slumber, and Romeo is sitting there, and he takes the swig of the poison, and as he does that, Juliet reaches up and touches his face, and it's like, oh my gosh, and they have about 30 seconds where they get to look and semi-talk to each other. Claire Danes does this weird cry and then they both die. And it is so tragic. And I was, I was like, I've watched lots of movies in the last however many years where death isn't the end though. Uh, am I going to spoil Harry Potter for anyone? <laughs> Oh, Sam, I'm so sorry. He got, he got drilled into him at school. Harry Potter's not okay. Uh, that's not true. Okay. Uh, but we, we come to expect resurrection in stories now, I think. And to, to actually see a movie where it's, it is, it's a tragedy, right? Shakespeare wrote it as a tragedy. It's, it just hit me so hard where I was wishing there was a resurrection. Like, maybe the poison that Leo took 
well, maybe it wasn't so final and he would wake up. But then Juliet's shot herself. Anyway, I was thinking about resurrection and, and we've been looking at Jesus' resurrection. Uh, Easter was only a few weeks ago and, uh, and it leads well into what we've got to talk about together this morning. After Jesus' resurrection, we hear that he then visited his disciples and he, and he made appearances and he, and he taught and he hung out with people. And, and it finally happens that, that he ascended. We know that story. It's kind of a crazy story, isn't it? Where Jesus kind of disappears up into the clouds. Um, after that happened, the disciples transformed from a group of, sometimes we make fun of the disciples, a bit of a bumbling and a bit clueless kind of a group of guys. They seem to make lots of mistakes in the Gospels. But we see them transform from that into men who boldly proclaimed God's kingdom and who boldly proclaimed God's good news. They saw people healed and they saw people saved and they, they even saw the dead raised to life. So how did that transformation happen from the disciples that we knew getting taught by Jesus to after Jesus leaves them, them being this powerhouse. We learn it at the start of Acts, don't we? And we read in the, the account of Acts, Acts 2, and we, we hear and we see that the Holy Spirit comes and empowers them. God's Spirit is poured out, right? Are you with me? Bit of a nod, good. Now, this was foretold by Jesus in, in John 7, and that, that's a verse that we're going to look at a little bit later today. That anyone who believes will have streams of living water that will flow from within in them. Or in other words, the Spirit. They will have the Spirit. We also see that what happens at Acts in Pentecost is also the fulfilment of the Old Testament. And some of... This same imagery that God will pour out his spirit in such a way that it would be like a river in the desert. We're starting a new teaching series today that leads us into Pentecost uh, in a few weeks' time. And that series is titled Streams in the Wasteland. Streams in the Wasteland. How can we become people who are overflowing with living water, transformed and renewed by God's Spirit, but also bold and, and faith-filled enough to believe that the desert places, the wastelands in our world, can be resurrected and renewed? Today we're going to lay some foundations um, for the series and it's going to be a lot of kind of teaching today. We're going to have a look at some scripture. So are you up for that today? Yeah, good. I'm glad there was a few nods. But who knows, even in amongst teaching, and we, we're going to open God's word, who knows that when we do that, it has the power to change us. When we look at God's word, it has the power to change us. I might not have fancy stories today. Or fun stories. I, I wish I had lots, but I don't today. 
But we're going to rely on the fact that God's word can change us, that God's word has the power to change us. And we're praying for that this morning together, aren't we? Can we pray right now for that? God, we thank you again that we get to meet together, that we get to encourage each other and build each other up. But that also as we open your word, you will build us up. That you will encourage us, that you will challenge us and that you will transform us. We pray that this morning we may look more and more like Jesus. Amen? Amen. So the main two texts that we're, we're going to be looking at over the, over the next three weeks, four weeks including this week, uh, uh, Ezekiel 47, we'll have a look at that in a second, and John 7. So Ezekiel, if you haven't read it before, Ezekiel is in the Old Testament, uh, and honestly, it's a pretty weird kind of a book, okay? It's, Ezekiel is a prophet. And it's, it's pretty weird. There's like uh, trippy, weird visions that, that happen. And, and there's a lot of symbolic language that he uses in, in the book. Ezekiel is writing as an exile in Babylon. The Babylonian army had attacked Jerusalem. Uh, they had uh, taken a lot of Jewish people back to Babylon, including Ezekiel. And so uh, God gives Ezekiel visions in Babylon uh, for the people of Israel. Am I making sense? Are you with me so far? Give me a thumbs up. I need some feedback's good. As Ezekiel is in exile, he's hearing about his home being destroyed and The central theme to Ezekiel is how can hope be restored? It's a a people who are hurting. They've been defeated. They've been brought out of their homeland to somewhere else as almost refugees, really, although they're actually kind of captive. And we're told in Ezekiel 37 that the people of Israel have no hope left. It says, our hope is gone. And it's in this that God lifts Ezekiel's eyes and gives him a vision of the future. Even though he and God's people were exiled, God shows and teaches Ezekiel how to hope again and how to pass that on to his people. I don't know about you, but I I want to be like Ezekiel. Even in the midst of hardship, displacement, change, Ezekiel was able to point to hope again. We've seen a lot of things in the last few years that have left people without hope, haven't we? I believe that God wants us to lift our eyes again to see the hope that Jesus is for the world and that we can be people who tell others about that hope. All right, so Ezekiel 47, you might want to turn to it and have a bit of a skim read. I'm not going to read it. I'll I'll paraphrase a little bit. 
uh, just to give you a rundown. If you don't read it now, maybe read it when you get home and and read uh, chapter 47. So Ezekiel sees in a vision, and this is towards the end of the book of Ezekiel, he sees in a vision the entrance to the temple. And at the entrance, a stream is flowing. Underneath the door, a stream is starting to flow. And it's flowing east. And as the stream keeps flowing down the stairs of the temple and outside of the temple, Ezekiel tells us the stream is getting deeper and deeper. It starts at ankle deep and and as the As the stream continues on and it almost turns into a bit of a river, it gets knee deep and then waist deep. And eventually Ezekiel says that the river is so deep and so big that you can't walk in it anymore. The river flowed east across the desert. But everywhere that the river went in Ezekiel's vision, there was life. Life followed the river. Trees started growing along the banks of this river. I don't know how good you are at geography in the room. I, uh, I managed to go on a, on a camp and helped out with Jude at a camp this week. And I managed to sit next to two boys who were playing a game of I Spy. But their I Spy was the, the uh, letter of a country. I spy with my little eye, a country that starts with, and then they would say a letter. And can I tell you, I I really love geography. I I love getting a blank map and trying to fill out the whole world. Not not quite there, but these boys blew me away. They knew Alistair and uh, Mitchell. Anyway, they knew some of the most obscure countries and so I joined in. I got to play the game for about half an hour and I, I felt pretty good about myself going into the game. And afterwards I realised these year sixes know way more than I do. <laughs> I don't know if you know about geography, but, but where Jerusalem sits, heading east from Jerusalem, we have uh, kind of a lot of valleys, the, the Jordan Valley, which then... If you keep going east, you end up hitting the Dead Sea. Has anyone been to the Dead Sea? A few? Oh, look at that. Oh, all these officers who've been to the Dead Sea. Look at that. Uh, A couple of facts about the Dead Sea. Do you know that the Dead Sea is the lowest land point on Earth? So it's the, the furthest below sea level. 413 metres, in fact, below sea level. Uh, it's also 30, almost 35% salt, the Dead Sea. And I'm sure we've probably seen pictures of people floating in the Dead Sea. Like, you just, ah, oh, Reno's been floating. I'm now picturing Reno in a Speedo floating in the Dead Sea. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, those calves, he's got good calves. Um, which means that the Dead Sea is almost 10 times saltier than, than the ocean. That's, that's a l- very salty, yeah? Which means that bathers float, 
But also it means that the Dead Sea has that title for a reason. There's no life in the Dead Sea. No animals can survive in it. No fish can survive in the Dead Sea. There are no plants growing in the Dead Sea. There are no trees surrounding the banks. I looked it up on uh, Google World yesterday and got a bit of a picture. Can I tell you, from Jerusalem to the Dead Sea, it is desert. The satellite pictures, like, like I struggled to find a single tree from Jerusalem to the Dead Sea. And Ezekiel's vision continues and says that the river flows into the Dead Sea. And verse 9 says, There will be swarms of living things wherever the water of this river flows. This river that flows from the temple starts out as a trickle, ends in a, in a gushing river, brings the Dead Sea to life. With fish. And it even says at the end that fruit trees grow all around the Dead Sea and up the river. All different kinds of fruit trees that always have fruit on their branches. What an amazing vision, right? A vision of dead places, dry places, coming to life, springing to life with this river. So we understand the geography a little, at least you'll trust me for the moment, check it out on Google Maps maybe a bit later, but it's also important to note for the readers of Ezekiel, it's important to know that water is used as a metaphor for God's spirit in scripture. When a Jewish audience was reading or listening to this vision, they knew that what Ezekiel was talking about, this, this water, was God's spirit. And hearing about it coming from the temple, well, well that kind of made sense. That's where God's manifest presence was in the temple. So God's presence, it made sense that there was living water in the temple. But it would have been mind-blowing for the Jewish people to hear that God's Spirit continued out of the temple. That God's Spirit, His presence, the stream or the river, went out of the temple and started transforming the whole world. In this vision, God is giving an extraordinary promise to His people. That He will pour out His presence. That He will pour out His Spirit to all people. And that with his spirit comes life and resurrection. Things that were dead will come to life. New life will spring up. Is, are you with me? Incredible vision that Ezekiel has for God's people. Who knows that that's enough to give the Israelites hope again? that God is about to do something, that God will pour out his spirit. Okay, so with this in mind, we're going to fast forward uh, a few hundred years and the Jews are no longer in exile. They're back in, in their land. They're back in Israel, but they have a different oppressor this time. 
They have the Romans are in control. John 7, and we're going to look starting at verse 37. It's just a couple of verses, so you might want to to get them up. Starting at verse 37. On the last day, the climax of the festival. We might just pause for a second. Let's understand what's going on. So uh, the festival here that John is talking about is the festival of the tabernacle or the feast of the tabernacle. And for a week, for a whole week, the, the whole nation of Israel would come to Jerusalem and they would all live in tents in Jerusalem. They would have this festival uh, and they'd, they'd kind of pitch a tent and they'd celebrate God's faithfulness to his people in the Exodus where God rescued his people from Egypt. They would come all together and they'd be, uh, they'd be partying, they'd be singing together. And so they'd remember Exodus, but they would also pray. And they would pray that God would come and liberate them again. That God would pour out his spirit. And every day during the festival... Uh, a priest would come from the temple and they would walk down the stairs of the temple and they would go to the pool of of Siloam and they would uh, fill a jug with water from the pool and they'd walk back up to the temple and they would pour out the contents of the jug at the top of the temple and watch the water kind of come down. And the water would run down the temple stairs to the east just like Ezekiel's vision. It was a way for the whole country to come and pray together and remember God's faithfulness in the past, but also God's promise for the future, an outpouring of his spirit, that God would give them that living water. And on the last day, which was actually the climax of the festival, the priest would not just do that once, with the water, he would do it seven times. And all the while, the priest walking down, filling up, people would follow and sing songs, psalms. They would pray. They would, they, it was a real uh, big yeah, festival, if you can imagine, a parade as the priest did it. And you can imagine after seven times, the people would have been, I, I think, earnestly praying and praying. God, may this year be the year that you pour out your spirit. A desperation in the prayer. And in this moment, on this festival, Jesus stood and he shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Jesus was letting the people know that that he was what they had been waiting for. He was there to bring life, renewal and resurrection. 
not just in the temple, but for the whole world. And probably importantly for us today, it wasn't just for that one moment, but that it was for all people for all time. A living water that fills us, but also flows from us and sees life wherever it flows. We, um, unlike the people hearing Jesus claim that day, we have the benefit of being on the right side of history, don't we? Not only do we know what happens with Jesus, but we also get to read the Acts account of Pentecost, where we see God pour out his spirit, his life-changing spirit. We're going to look a lot more at these ideas over the the coming weeks. Um, And Jesus' teaching, there's, there's a few stories that parallel what we've heard from Ezekiel and Jesus' claim that, that he is the living water. But I believe this morning, just as we are here today, that Jesus has an invitation for us right now. Anyone who is thirsty may come to him. Jesus says that, right? Anyone who is thirsty may come to him. This morning, are you thirsty? Are you parched? Do you need hope? Do you need life? Do you need refreshing? Jesus says, if you believe, come and drink. I believe that there's some really exciting things for us contained in this vision. That God has poured out His Spirit. That we can be filled with His living water that transforms us, brings hope back to us, restores us. But also, we have a city that is broken and hurting. And God talks about this living water flowing out from us in our families, in our workplaces, in our neighbourhoods. God's plan is for His Spirit to be poured out across our city. And that as His Spirit is poured out, life follows. The things that were dead, the things that we thought were wastelands before come alive with life. We're going to spend some moments. We're going to, again, worship. Well, Dan's going to play and, and there'll be some words that we can sing if we agree with them. But the invitation is open this morning. Are you thirsty? Are you in need of restoring? I believe if you ask, Jesus will pour out His life-giving Spirit this morning. Do we believe that?
In these moments, you may want to kneel. You may want to stand. You may want to find some space to yourself. You may want to come forward and, and I'd love to pray with you if, if that's what you're wanting to. But there's an invitation. Are you thirsty? Do you need that life-giving water? Let's receive it this morning, right? Let's pray. God, right now, we just, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are a good God. We thank you that with your spirit comes life. Jesus, we thank you for your invitation. That you are that living water. those of us who are thirsty in the, this morning, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you pour out your presence and your spirit. We ask for life, for renewal and resurrection.